0: Hello and welcome to Kickout 299. We've got a very special episode for you today. I'm Rachel. My pronouns are they, them.
1: I'm Alicia. My pronouns are she, her.
0: And we are hanging out here with none other than Captain Lou. Go ahead and introduce yourself to us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and where people can find you.
2: Hi, guys. First of all, thanks so much for inviting me. People know me on Twitter as Captain Lou, you can call me Lou or Louie, both are fine. I write wrestling reviews for happywrestlingland.com where I essentially tell people if wrestlers sell the leg or not. (laughs) Uh, And then I put in a star rating because that, as we all know, that's the only way to determine if a wrestling match is good or not. Mm -hmm. I've been mostly writing about All Japan, In these last few years so uh, very happy to be here to discuss what we're going to discuss today.
0: So we are holding this episode as a memoriam to none other than total eclipse which uh, was recently disbanded but uh, let's go back all the way to February 23rd 2021 in which the uh, stable was formed. Let's uh, let's go back and sort of remember how that happened. Um, Ashino had previously unsuccessfully challenged Suwama for the Triple Crown Championship. And that sort of led to some cracks in uh, the stable Enfants Tarib. Particularly from Hokuto Omori. And that eventually led to this moment on February 23rd, 2021 where Ashino was kicked from Enfants and replaced by Jake Lee. So I actually was not watching All Japan at this time. Um, Actually, it happened. And uh, Alicia, who I I was friends with, but we weren't as close as we are now, um, popped into my DMs and was like, hey, is it okay if I rant about All Japan at you? And uh, I would credit that moment for the reason I got into all Japan. So I'd say the forming of total eclipse is very significant to me, but in a, in a very different way. So let's talk about the impact on you guys, because you guys were witnessing it sort of as it happened and had a lot more context than I did. So Lou, why don't you why don't you tell us uh, your sort of impressions on that moment?
2: Yeah, sure. So I think uh, something to remember is that this angle, this whole total eclipse storyline kicked off after all Japan probably had one of their quietest years ever. In 2020, when COVID happened outside of the like uh, epic Suwama triple crown reign, there wasn't a whole lot happening storyline wise. And then we get 2021 and this angle happens uh, at the time I remember it felt massive uh, we had the, the, as Rachel you described it was sort of a double backstabbing soap opera with Jake <laughs> taking over enfant terrible I remember I have great memories of that first initial angle where Jake turned on Iwamoto watching it in real time it felt really exciting like the craziest thing to happen in all Japan in a long, long time.
0: And what about you, Alicia? Like I said, I, we got a little bit of that in my DMs, but uh, I want I want you to share with the class now.
1: <laughs> I remember, I don't always watch shows live, and especially now, I almost never watch anything live. I don't really have a lot of time. But during that period of my life, I was working from home all the time because of the pandemic. So I watched quite a lot of things live, but I remember specifically... Watching that show live because we knew something was going to happen. And that's, you know, the, all the shows leading up to that one. We knew something was going to happen with Enfance Charib. I don't think, I don't have any memory of, of knowing that maybe something was going to happen with Jake or with the remnants really of Jin in general, him and Iwamoto. But I remember tuning in knowing that something was probably going to happen with Enfants Tareeb and, um, and having a lot of mixed feelings about that, being a big Enfants Tarib and Ashino fan, but I'll never forget that moment, that show. I think I paced my bedroom for the rest of the night after I watched <laughs> that happen because like Lou said, that felt like a massive, massive thing to angle in an era of all Japan where everything was just... <sighs> things were hard. Things were hard for the pan in the pandemic for a promotion like all Japan. Um, They were as much like Noah, they were not having a good time (laughs) with um, the the fact that there were no crowds, you know, money's really tight. They need something. And they put this angle together and it just felt like this, this incredible thing. It felt also like um, these types of angles still do feel though. They're, they're very WWE esque, right? Have these types of betrayals like play out And this tends to be a group that does really well with that, which is why I think even watching it back um, this week when I was going through a lot of matches and revisiting some of this stuff, it still lands so incredibly well. It's so shocking. Yeah. I just like, I'll, I'll never forget how I felt when I, when I watched it and then I needed to immediately go find someone who would listen to me talk about it because no (laughs) one I was friends with was watching (laughs) All Japan at the time, but myself and I landed on you and you were very gracious to listen to me. So there's just a lot to that moment and a lot of layers to it. But of course, you know, it was one thing to have uh, Ashino kicked from Enfants, but then to have Jake Lee assume Mm -hmm. leadership. And at the time we didn't know, is he assuming leadership of Enfants or is this turning into something else? We didn't know in the immediate aftermath of that. So there was a lot to that moment.
0: Yeah. I didn't actually get the name Total Eclipse until March, right?
2: Yes. I think they unveiled the name in March during the, I think it was Dream Power series Mm -hmm. tour where they had uh, those first few tag team matches, unveiling the new gear, unveiling the official lineup. Yes, that's when it all started.
0: And uh, what were your impressions at that time of what the unit was, what it looked like, sort of the aesthetic, Um, and more importantly, where did you think this stable was sort of going? Like, what were your predictions towards this angle? Because you have sort of this feud with the remnants of Jin and with Evolution and all that. Um, where was, What were your predictions? I guess I should say, if you remember.
2: I remember initially it felt like it all felt like a vehicle to really take Jake Lee to that next level, to the mm. triple crown champion level. Like the whole unit was designed around him, around his new aesthetic, his new brooding Dark Knight Jake Lee type character. <laughs> um, and that made. That made the unit, that's what it worked and did not work for me with the unit. I think everything that was designed towards Jake uh, worked well, but maybe not the entire Total Eclipse lineup took it as seriously as Jake. Mm. Um, And that always struck me, uh, it struck me very early in the Total Eclipse story. And that's
0: a really good point. Yeah. I want Alicia's thoughts on that, but we're going to, we're going to continue on that train of thought in a little bit as well. What were your predictions for the unit, Alicia?
1: I definitely thought that because it was, because it was Jake and because it was, was very much time to push Jake into the main event in a meaningful way that had been, I think delayed and delayed. And it was time to see him really rise to that. And it seemed like that was going to be the vehicle in which that would, Happen so, like Lou said, I completely agree. It, it seemed like it was completely designed around him, and in that way, it made sense. But I kept thinking in the initial, you know, couple of shows, like you know, with the way that they formed, this is so dramatic. This is like a perfect anime plotline, and but with the style of it all, it's and this is like this is to me is is complete to Jiri in the way that he thinks about wrestling and his philosophy around wrestling and his background in wrestling. This feels still to me very WWE-esque. Jake's acting feels very WWE-esque, which is mm-hmm. something I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about. Yeah. Not, oh, yeah. That's not something he's naturally very gifted at. And that's okay. He doesn't <laughs> need to be. And that's something that I just wish that I could have told to Jerry. But um I just think that with that kind of introduction of this unit, are we? I kept thinking, are we looking at all Japan's bullet club? It's, you know, that level of of drama and theatrics and perhaps interference. But it seemed like to me in the first couple of shows, this unit couldn't really figure out what type of heel group they were going to be. They're not quite voodoo murders. They're also not quite bullet clubs. So what are they? And I think that You know, Jake was taking on this, you know, this certain persona and the way that he would speak. And I think that a lot of Jake's motivations come from his personal background, his story, his his experiences as an athlete and coming up through all Japan. And everything to me is linked to his connections to Kento and Suwama, which are again very individualistic, very much about him. But that speaks to nothing about what this unit is supposed to be as a faction, as a cohesive unit. So that to me became very apparent early on and then in, in watching back some of these matches to me it becomes apparent that this is never really about total eclipse this is only ever about jake and everybody else is sort of just along for the ride
2: i agree i 100 percent agree and i think that uh, certain members of the group were able to pull their end and made something out of the situation i'm thinking about the uh, Hokuto and uh, later on Honda, I think by being in total eclipse, they both became better performers, better wrestlers, more confident. It was a huge boost for the both of them. But I'm thinking then about guys like uh, Kuma and Doi, who I never quite thought fit in perfectly in that unit. And I remember one show where like. There was a uh, six-man tag I think uh, post-match celebration and Jake he's doing his brand new uh, pointing at the moon uh, taunt and you see right next to him there's Kuma and Doi and they're just looking at him like what is what is he doing mm-hmm. and that was all that picture always stayed with me where it was indicative of members of the unit I, I was always wondering did they even want to be in there at times Maybe that's overthinking it, but certain members I had uh, that feeling with at times.
1: No, I think that's a great point. And I think I remember the match that you're talking about. I remember them both like looking at him. And I think sometimes they would turn those moments into a little bit of comedy. And I think yes. Jerry would do that a lot backstage. I've watched a couple different backstages now where, and I think Jake was having trouble in the beginning, figuring out exactly what he wanted to do as well. He, sometimes he looks incredibly smug. And I think that sort of makes sense, especially if he's playing off of someone like Kento. I think that that stuff looks, it looks really it looks really good, actually. It makes sense to me that he would do that. But sometimes he's doing that and then you have the other other people like Tajiri and Kuma and Doi, you know, being very like comedic in how they're all speaking. And it's like, well, what kind of unit is this? Like, is like then in that way? Like, well, it's kind of like Bullet Club, I guess. Like everything with them is like about humor too. But I just, that tone actually doesn't suit Jake. And I think that the problem with total eclipse is that is the lack of cohesion but also that tone and i think that there's like a certain tone that jake would reach it with certain people certainly i think that he always tends to get there um, with the people that are really meaningful to his personal story you know he's going to get there with kento he'll he'll get there with suama but if he loses sight of like that tone that he's supposed to hit with his faction some of that stuff does start fall a little flat because there just seems like there there was never any real cohesion about what is total eclipse actually saying and what are they all doing here together and i think that stuff does seem really odd especially at the very beginning like that should really have been a very big statement piece of like this is who we are as a unit and you're not really getting that but i think at the beginning you're certainly getting jake looking to kento looking to Suwama i think about the elimination match a lot because you have that happened there was like a big break in between total eclipse forming, and then the elimination match. There was like 11, a mm-hmm. space of 11 days, which is actually quite a bit of time to make people wait from that start of the angle to them facing each other. And it was total eclipse. And then you had uh, you had uh, Evolution plus Iwamoto and Ashino. And you had, I guess, Evolution acting as like the good guy group, kind of bringing in like the two that got displaced and then facing like the bad guys in total eclipse. And it looks great. But what i noticed you know very early on when i was you know re-watching this all this you know leading up into having this conversation with you guys is that this is i was like it's really just struck me now that this is never about like i thought when i first watched this like this is great jake's gonna have a great rivalry with ashino that's where they have to go with this Mm there will be some fallout with iwamoto that'll look fantastic because they have such a great relationship that'll look awesome this is never about Ashino or Iwamoto. This is about, you know, he comes out and he immediately squares off with Suwama. And that makes sense. It's like leader to leader, but Suwama has nothing to do with this. He's just there (laughs) because he's an evolution. And then all of a sudden he's sort of dragged into this, but it has nothing to do with Ashino or Iwamoto. He's done with them as soon as he takes the faction away from Ashino. This is about, you know, setting himself up against Suwama and eventually Kento as well so just early on there's you know it's it's really never about to me when you're looking at this era as a whole and it's not a very long era but when you're looking at it it's really never about establishing this new faction and where are we going to go with this new heel faction within all Japan it's really just about creating a backdrop for Jake to create a new brand for himself that is directly opposed to what Kento is doing.
0: And I mean there's something to be said for sort of that I guess odd couple sort of everyone thrown into a pot kind of dynamic where they're unsure of what they're doing and they're kind of watching Jake and and sort of goofing around as they try to figure things out but would you say that didn't really work because of how the unit came together like the sort of violent way that they they formed? what was the disconnect there why did it never sort of sit as
2: a as a full unit for me it was as alicia said it was just a, a tone kind of thing because mm-hmm. the, the i thought the way they came together was amazing like it was the, the early stages of the total eclipse story for me were like excellent pro wrestling just peak pro wrestling but it was as if the different members of the group add maybe different mission statements. And I think an interesting contrast to that is when you look at what they're doing right now with Voodoo Murders, who uh, are a controversial faction on Twitter. (laughs) The difference for me here is that with Voodoo Murders, at least, everything feels very united. You know what you're getting into. You're getting uh, these mid-card matches where like baby faces are getting destroyed they look dangerous they feel dangerous meanwhile back in the total eclipse era you had these very good Jake Lee matches uh, on top of the card sometimes on the mid-card you had these Tajiri six-man comedy matches where they were goofing off doing like uh, belt finishes and it's it, to me, it's an interesting contrast because Total Eclipse felt more popular at the time. And I guess they were because it was the Jake Clee vehicle. But go. And right now, uh, Voodoo Murders are getting a lot of backlash. And I, I get it, trust me. But uh, it feels more cohesive um, to me.
1: I would completely agree with that. And I think to your point as well about some of the, the matches from the other members, I think a big piece of this too is... I think eventually Omori and um, Kodama benefited, right? They had had an all Asia tag belt run that was actually extremely well-received because it was good. I mean, the matches were excellent. Mm -hmm. That helped raise Omori's profile. He's always going to be received differently anyway because of his relationship to Jake Lee. They're very close. Like he's always been, he was like more or less a valet for Jake um, when he was just coming into the company. They have a very different relationship and the way that they're perceived is very different in Japan because of that relationship. So, Omori's relationship with Jake is is important in that way. So he, it's just different in that way. But then you have Kuma, or, yeah, Kuma, uh, Kuma and um, Doi, and they just became a tag team that would get set up to lose constantly. They never mm-hmm. had a run, and I think that, and they also they never had a run, and then they disappeared for months. And I think that also, I mean. We'll get to the point where we can talk about like the the most bizarre way that this faction sort of just quietly fell apart. And they they came together in such a violent, impressive, incredible way, only to fall apart in the most quiet, just most unassuming way, um, basically with a tweet. But we had known for weeks that they weren't going to be a faction anymore because they weren't doing anything. And you've got Jake hanging out with uh, Yuma Aoyagi, so it's just, it's fascinating. But I think that piece too, of, you know, you have a heavyweight tag team that has had a bunch of tag title chances, you know, so opportunities to, to do really well in real world tag league. And they've, you know, they, they did fairly well for themselves, but they never were able to have a run that really defined them, that made them a real threat as a unit. Um, And that, that stuff really does matter. And it just never, they never really landed in that way. and I think that made a huge difference too.
0: think that's a really good sort of summary there is that they were never a threat like that's what you were talking about with voodoo murders is they were they're threatening um you always have that we had that period of voodoo murders you know domination and we could easily go right back to them taking all the belts again especially now with the cytos uh involved and that that is looming over us again at any point they feel like heels they feel like a threat and on paper Total Eclipse kind of had it all. Like they had a great junior tag team. They had a great heavy tag team. They had your centerpiece and Jake. And then, you know, Tijiru was there too. So um it it had a lot going for it to be a dominant unit, but it simply just didn't happen and didn't but bo- wasn't really booked that way. And you guys, you know, have sort of brought up the point, and I think you're really onto it, is that it's because it wasn't about total eclipse. It wasn't about the unit. It wasn't about unit warfare. It was to give Jake sort of a brand to move forward and um, sort of recreate himself, create this whole um, look for himself. And I mean, to that credit, it did work. We did have Lee uh, take place in the champion carnival in which he won. And to say nothing that Doi was in it too, just, just to bring that up, um, there were two, two total Eclipse members in there, but, uh, the real standout was Jake Lee when on May 3rd, he defeated Kento Miyahara in that, uh, empty arena show to win the champion carnival. So I want to talk about that moment as well. And, um, I, and I would love to talk about the carnival, um, in general, because that's sort of where we got the big debut of that laugh, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, and and I think we do need to. If we're going to talk about total Eclipse, we do need to talk about Jake Lee's laugh. So uh, let's let's discuss that. Let's discuss um, his match with Oshino, and then we can move on to uh, the match with Kento. So how about that? For,
2: for me, the the whole uh, <laughs> that champion carnival for me was all about Jake Lee figuring out his new thing. Figuring out his new heel approach, so you had a lot of matches where you can see him just trying new things. You had th- in that very first match, there's a ref bump. Uh, then mm. you can see him moving on to something else in the different in the uh, subsequent matches. Uh, he's doing choking spots. That he's he's just trying things, and I think that by the end of the tournament, he he sort of put his finger on what worked for him, which to me felt like a mix of the new heel stuff mixed with what he was doing the previous year where he started focusing on body parts a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was working the arm, working the midsection. And in his last few matches of the carnival, you can see him sort of putting it all together. And he has this awesome match with uh, Yuma. And he has this awesome performance in the empty arena finals with Kento. And this is when it all started making sense for me with, with Jake's new uh, gimmick, at least in ring wise.
1: Yeah. I think that Ashino match, like that still sticks with me. And it's just as someone who is like dying for, to get them to figure it out. I don't know what it is about them. they, They have these moments of like incredible, like they'll just be interacting in the ring, and that works because they both have incredible just chemistry with each other, and that's great. But for some reason, like nothing has landed that hard for me when it comes to their singles matches together, and that's been that's been hard because I still think that that's something that just fell really flat and I don't really know why because no matter what, even if Jake doesn't care about Ashino, which checks with him as a character anyway, this is someone who will, who spent a lot of time with Naoya Nomura and will still look right past him. So that's a part of Jake's character and that's great. And if he's going to look past um, Ashino, that's also great, but I don't know why they can't get a match to to kind of, um, to, to go off. It's just, it's odd to me, but that first match um, in the carnival with Ashino was very, It was very telling to me because, again, like, Lou mentioned the ref bump. I forgot about that ref bump until I put the match on this week. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, I remember how, like, disappointed I was because really, like, he's not a ref bump guy. And, like, this character doesn't have to be a ref bump character. And that just spoke to the inconsistency overall of the type of heel character that maybe Jake wanted to be. Maybe All Japan wanted him to be. I'm not really sure who the who was giving the directions on that or if that was coming from him I'm not really sure what like you know we'll never know but that didn't really work and it didn't really you know accomplish anything or set anything up for the future so yeah just in general I didn't I didn't love that but that's where you get you know the laugh and the thing about the laugh (laughs) the thing about the laugh it's not a strong suit of his because it sounds really forced and it's just not the type of acting that he's good at, he is very good at drawing on real emotions that he can pull on from his experiences. And, you know, he's, he's talked at length about the things that motivate him, the things that brought him back to All Japan after leaving in 2011, coming back into All Japan in 2016. He's very good at pulling from his very real experiences as a person and as an athlete. But when you are asking him to put on this very fake laugh, I just think it's, it's not gonna work, but it photographs beautifully there are photos of him and I, and I took a screenshot and put it on Twitter of him leaning against the post after the Ashno match. He's just laughing. And that worked to me in the sense that it captures what I think he has always needed to put his finger on, which is to capture his anger. He needs to be angrier than he is even right now. And I think that's something that he could do more of. It might be something that he's missing sometimes a little bit in his performances is that this is a man who has had a tremendously difficult time from when he first started with All Japan and then coming back to All Japan in 2016. He has had, I think, every unfortunate incident you could throw at a person, he has experienced it. And he has had to then stand in Kendo's shadow, which is, you know, that's a big deal. Kendo being the young ace, Kendo having a very different life and life experiences compared to him. He has had to stand in Kento's shadow and watch Kento achieve everything. And Jake doesn't get to have any of that. So he should be drawing on his anger in this character all of the time. Everything should be crisp and vicious. And at times in this carnival, he gets that and he does that. I wouldn't say that every match in this carnival is like a fantastic, you have to go and watch it type of match. I think some things fell flat in this carnival, but... I also like I want when I say this like I want people to understand that like we had athletes performing in the most horrific of times for everyone so I don't like I don't hold these athletes to the expectations of like you have to have you know 10 star rating matches whatever during a pandemic and you know you're going into a state of emergency in Japan and what have you like I can't hold people to those expectations. It was a tremendously difficult time in the world for everyone. So I wish people would keep that in mind more when they're talking about this era of the company and the athletes. We don't know what they're experiencing like emotionally and that's important. People might get mad at me for saying that, but I think it's important. So irregardless, I'm taking a long time to explain this, but by the time we get to the end and we get to Kendo, it has to come down to them because they have their rivalry. And because, and Lou knows this, because I, because you were watching Lou, I'm sure when, um, when all this happened. But in the 2019 Champion Carnival finals, it came down to Jake and Kento, and Kento won, and that was Kento's first Champion Carnival win, and he was Triple Crown champion at the time as well. So you have that connection there. So it comes down to them. And Lou, this match is a masterpiece, even if there was no crowd. Oh, for, for sure. sure. I literally just
0: rewatched it today, and um, yeah, Kento I, I hate watching.
1: Is all the noise you need for yeah. 24 minutes or however long that
0: lasted. You know, and Amori Om- really uh put in some effort in there too. Um <laughs> yeah. really, really put in <laughs> put in his whole chest as he uh he cheered for Jake. And honestly, like just to sort of put it aside, actually. Um, like I said, I started watching all Japan right around this uh period and I really liked how loud their empty arena shows were because a lot of the wrestlers were out there and they were cheering and they made a real point to make as much noise as possible which was surprising how a few companies actually did that during their empty arena shows um I really can only think of like choco Pro as an example of another loud um empty arena promotion so that was something that really stood out to me and um yeah I thought this match was phenomenal for the tension that the silence brought which is really underselling just how loud kento is um really just a a unique individual that man um but yeah no so I, I have to um i have to say i agree with alicia there that it is a masterpiece with or without crowd noise so that was my aside i had to throw that in there I had to throw that in there sorry lou you're you're uh, wrong
2: you're actually no you're you're both right it was <laughs> considering the the limitations that they had I, it was a miracle match straight up it it was really good and it's 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 still to me one of the best all japan matches of that year for sure and it's probably the best uh, at least my favorite jake lee total eclipse era match um that and his 60 minute match with kento for me yeah. those are the peaks and uh, It's no coincidence that they happen with Kento. They have the the best possible chemistry. They're at ease in the ring with each other the most. And I think that whenever he's with Kento, that's when the heel Jake Lee character works best, easily. There's something that you get when they're together that you don't get when Jake is with, let's say, Suwama. I was rewatching some of the recent. Uh, I was rewatching actually Jake's um, triple crown match with Suama, where he finally got the win over him when uh, in, in September 2021. And in contrast with the Kento matches, it it, it seems like two different worlds to me. There's something that happens when he's in the ring with Kento, where I think they trust each other so much that they just lay into each other on another level. They just beat the crap out of each other. And you don't get the same thing when Jake is with Suwama. I don't know if he's holding back or whatever, or because he sees himself as this underdog figure when he's wrestling Suwama. But uh, yeah, those two matches, the 60-minute match and the Champion Carnival Finals, to me, were peaks of Jake and uh, where his whole gimmick or best.
1: I completely agree with you. And I think it's really interesting because I recently, today, before we recorded this, I, f- I finally rewatched <laughs> Suwama and Jake from, and we'll get past this part of it, but I watched you know Suwama and Jake from Jake's second defense of the Triple Crown yeah. from that first reign. And it never hits a higher gear. And they have a great final eight minutes, yeah. but and it's a, it's like a 24 minute match, but they have a great final eight minutes, but everything up to that point is a little slow and it's a little plodding. And I don't know why that is because they have moments in tag matches prior to all of that in the lead up to Champion Carnival where like Jake is doing exactly what he's supposed to do as this new heel character. And it's like, why can't you do that when the pressure is on? Like, what is it that stops him? Because he when he talks about Suwama and he did this then, and he did he did this when he was going into his um, second reign with the Triple Crown against Suwama. He talked well, the way he talks about Suwama and the why and why Suwama is so significant. Suwama is Suwama. Suwama's the ace, right? He's been the ace for a long time in All Japan, so he's always going to be significant. Suwama scouted him and brought him to All Japan in 2011 when he was weightlifting in college. That's how Jake gets to All Japan. So that's always going to be significant. I think he feels that he has, he has to live up to Suwama bringing him in, but also Suwama was almost certainly the person that allowed him to come back. So I think that there's a lot of, I have to live up to the expectations of this figure in all Japan. And I have to be able to stand in this ring and surpass him and I guess the pressure of that is insurmountable. I can't imagine what that must mean and I know that, you know, us watching it, we are expecting him to do great things in those matches, but he makes it work in the tags. It just doesn't work in that first defense. I have opinions about the, the rain, the second rain. I thought that match was fine. But um, <laughs> but the point is like that's that's where it's interesting with him and um, with him and Suwama in the context of this time period with him and Kento I'll reference this really interesting set of interviews from 2016, where the point of the interviews is that it starts, I think, actually with Hikaru Sato, and you're supposed to nominate the person that you think is the strongest wrestler, Mm -hmm. and Kento gets nominated by somebody, I forget who nominated him, and the reporter says, okay, well, who do you think is the the strongest wrestler, and he (laughs) goes, Kento Miyahara, and they're like, no, no, like, after you, who do you think is the next strongest wrestler? and it like takes him a minute of prodding because he doesn't want to admit anyone is stronger than him because he's doing this completely in character and then he says jake lee and his reasoning is that well we're in the same unit because this is when they were in next stream and um he's handsome and he's tall and being tall is a really good like it's a useful weapon as a as a wrestler and they leave it at that because he was just he was difficult the entire interview so then jake has his interview and the interviewer notes that you know kento nominated you what do you think of that and the jake goes well and he says it in like his very typical jake way of kind of circling around a point but he, <laughs> he <it>. uses that <laughs> kendo <laughs> must have chose him because he wants him to be stronger and i think mm-hmm. that that is a really incredible recollection of his or not recollection but just a you know just a credible line from him and if you take that and you and you apply that to their champion carnival match and even some of their matches that came before that in their series that is what it feels like and that i think is really the central story to the original next stream lineup as well yeah it's a really um,
0: really solid point is that um this sort of whole unit and i mean we could talk about next stream next stream 1.0 and 2.0 all day but you know <laughs> this is this is total eclipse But um, yeah, it really, really just circle around uh, Kento Miyahara. And to that end, um, Kento was involved eventually in that uh, Triple Crown match, the Tomoe battle with uh, Jake Lee and Miyahara and um, Yuma on June 26th. And that is ultimately what led to Jake winning the belt. And I do also want to note that Yeri Kodama and Amori also won the six man belts. That same that same show. <laughs> I had completely forgotten about that, but there there it is. They they got some success and were like one of the last champions to hold those titles because um, <laughs> we've never seen them um, since. So uh but other than other than that uh note for total eclipse uh really we are we're back to Jake and this being about Jake and uh his his uh big triple crown win. So we can talk a little bit about that as well and talk about that match cuz I know Alicia you just rewatched it and um had some thoughts there especially in regards to um Kento and then also some regards to Yuma cuz that sort of brings way to where Jake is now.
1: I think what I remember this time period really well is too. to the same, you know, I have these very specific memories of different parts of this timeline of this faction, because this entire era again is like, we knew at this point, like going through the carnival, like this is really just to get this belt finally on Jake. This, this is going to happen now. And when he finally wins champion carnival, great. Then it gets delayed a month because of the, wasn't it, yeah it was about a month because of the state of emergency which is like holy shit like this all, this stuff always happens to him but we just got to ride it out like we just we just, just have to ride it out and then um Suwama gets COVID six days before and I remember like where I was standing in my bedroom like I opened my phone and I saw it and I was just like fucking floored to be honest with you couldn't believe it was upset because like Suwama's not an old man but he is an older man and that is a big deal and then like how could this happen to jake lee like he just needed to get to the finish line on this and we're not gonna we're not gonna get this in the way that we needed it to happen so it's a crushing thing i think i remember like just feeling like so like demoralized over like how could this how could this be happening Uh, i think this at this time period too just to back up for a second really quickly before i forget to make this point this is a really this the, the company put jake in an incredible situation because he's having to navigate new character new faction Champion, Carnival winner, Triple Crown champion—in this very short period of time—that the amount of pressure that must be is like incredible. Whereas, like he's been in the company for how long? 2016 to 2021, but we're doing this all in the span of a couple of months. So it's just—it's an incredible thing when you think about the amount of pressure he was put under in a period where uh, things are inconsistent and, and difficult because of a global pandemic. So the way they handled it, I think, was interesting with the tomoe battle. I think the significance of it happening in 97 with the 97 champion carnival final and it being Kawada and uh, Misawa and uh, Kobashi is really interesting because then you ended up with the, you know, Kento and Yuma and Jake, and they're always trying to parallel those guys back and forth. So I think that that's compelling. They all got to hold one of the belts and make up the triple crown. Like all of that stuff really worked, but it's just really tough because then you have like the setup of the Tomoe battle, which in and of itself is really compelling. But he, he kind of gets past Kento and that was perfectly designed for him just to come out and be the big bad heel and to lose point before, like this is where he shines. He comes out, he's smirking at Kento who looks like he's dying and Kento never looks like that. So everybody was really <laughs> leaning into this, but um, Kento looks like he's dying after winning the first fall from Yuma and, Ken- and uh, Jay comes out and smiles at him like, I know that I've got you now because you've already had to work through this entire match and now I've got you. So he gets rid of Kento in 10 minutes. But then Yuma comes out and the way that he acts with Yuma is, is so different than how he acts with Kento. He looks pained that now he's going to have to destroy Yuma to win the Triple Crown, which is really, really sad because Yuma should not even be in this match. Neither should Kento, but like <laughs> Yuma shouldn't even be here, period. So like it's it's actually like in watching it back and watching his facial expressions when Yuma is finally in the ring and they turn the lights on is really actually incredibly sad and it's incredibly compelling and it just shows you like how much drama and how much just stuff sits between all these guys in that that next stream 1.0 sort of set of, of people so it's just really compelling and then it takes him 19 minutes to get rid of Yuma and he wins and I wouldn't have made either of these matches perhaps as long as they went um, or maybe I would have kept Yuma's the same length, but Kento's would have been shorter. I think Kento's was probably a little too long, even at 10 minutes. It just, there's something about the length of that that doesn't quite work for me. He has to work, I think, a little too hard to get rid of Kento. But he wins and it's it's hard because it's it's still an extraordinary moment in that he won. But this was so still, I think, so hard because of the nature of losing Suwama and losing that traditional match to win the Triple Crown. Like, I... I, I It's just, it's a a tough thing, I think, to watch. And especially when you compare how he looked when he won the Triple Crown there and how he looked when he won Champion Carnival. He looked like he was, he looked miserable. There was something, his face changes immediately as soon as the match is done. And he looks like he wants to go to the back. So like, that was awful. And then he looks okay when he wins the Triple Crown. But then when you compare how he looked when he won the Mm -hmm. belt the second time, it's a different person. So it's just, it's an incredibly difficult period to watch back even now because of the tremendous circumstances. But you can see that they were all really working to make this a moment for him. And then in that way, it's extraordinary. But it's still it's still sad that it had to happen that way. What
0: say you, Lou?
2: What I remember from this time period is that, um, first thing is that I, I loved what they were doing at the time with um, total eclipse coming in. And Suwama's reign coming to an end. Jake being the chosen one to finally beat the guy. I thought everything was lining up perfectly. So I'm with you. When Suwama got COVID, I was crushed. I to me, it's it it at the time it ruined the whole thing. Uh, but they made the best of it with the, the Tomoe battle. Uh, like you said, they tried to make it feel like a big moment for Jake, and I think they succeeded. It wasn't as uh, wasn't the same as him finally beating Suwama for the belt, but they made something cool out of it. It's a rarely used concept. Uh, like you said, it went back to 97, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they, for me, the, the, my favorite part of the whole thing was that middle match with Kento. Uh, as you said, Kento just having gone 20 minutes with Yuma being just wiped out. And I think if I remember correctly, that was the first time that Jake came out with his uh, executioner style entrance rope. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have Good. you have Kento reeling from his match, and then Jake comes out with the, the new gear, and Kento just looking at him like, "What the fuck is this?" And <laughs> to me, to me, it was a super cool moment, and uh, um, my favorite part of the whole thing. Uh, I think if you look at the three matches, you can find before and after these guys have had better matches with each other uh, before and after, but they still made it work. It was a cool concept. Yeah, they made it work.
0: So seems like sort of a uh, trend in Jake's career, especially during this uh, total eclipse era is uh, making it work. And uh, that sort of leads us into the Suwama match that we've talked about. And then that 60-minute draw with uh, Kento, which we have also touched on. So uh, in all this this reign, what are your thoughts on uh, this Triple Crown
2: reign? If, if you just look at the matches, I think most of the matches worked. The defenses were just uh, the, the one with Ashino, I know I'm higher on than Alicia. I thought it was, I, I really liked it. For me, it was the kind of uh, Jake Lee performance that I wanted from this reign where he's sort of mixing the uh, heel tropes with his working the arm or working the midsection tropes. And Ashino you know, was really good at selling body parts. So for me, <laughs> that was sort of the perfect storm of these guys together. I'm sure they, they're going to have better matches in the future, but for me, this is their best one at mm-hmm. the moment suama matched second defense um i i think that so far jake's best matches with suama came from his pre-total eclipse uh, period uh this one was better than the most recent one that we had but uh, like alicia mentioned took a lot of time to get going it was mostly a really cool ending stretch what came after. After that, you get the 60-minute match with Kento, which, as I mentioned, was one of the peaks of the Total Eclipse era for me. I know a lot of people are struggling with uh, long matches and 60-minute matches these days, but I'm still into it. And I thought this one was really, really well done and made the most of the uh, Kento and Jake chemistry. And then Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we get to the Jake Lee injury.
0: Yep. That's exactly what I was working towards. Beautifully,
1: yeah. beautifully <laughs> taking my
0: transition. Well, What's I up, actually, Alika?
1: I just want to say really quickly, sorry, I'm annoying, but I want to say. <laughs> Stop about, apologizing. About the, I want to say about the 60-minute the draw. I know people had a lot of opinions about this. And. I know that people had opinions because you know they Jake and and Kento series is long and it really it centers around the Jake had at that point beaten Kento before right we've we've just watched him beat Kento twice like he's he's beaten Kento before the point is that he needs to beat him for the triple crown yeah so I will say this about the 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 draw Um, I did not watch it live I watched it on delay but I had translated some of jake's tweets immediately following and because of the way that he was tweeting i thought he won so i was like well holy fuck end of an era great and then someone else's tweet made me realize oh shit did he not win? <laughs> what the what the fuck's going on so then i i went and verified the situation and then i was like well what the fuck i <laughs> was like super super confused and then i watched the match and then i was like i was kind of like going into it a little bit prepared to be disappointed because I was not expecting a 60 minute draw at that point but I do like I I really enjoyed that match when I watched it but each time I've re-watched it I like it more and more I really do watch, love that match a lot I've been actually comfort watching it lately which sounds insane but I don't have to keep changing matches because it's so fucking long so <laughs> that's why I like it but it works for me but my point is that I thought when I realized and like sat with like what he was trying to say in his tweets after the match and like and acting like to him, he was not treating it like he, like he lost a match. Like it was Mm -hmm. a bad thing. Like to him, like this was a, a major step forward in his ability to stand across a ring from Kento and feel like an equal, but also get that much closer to winning him to rather to winning against him where it mattered. And that stuff to me, like maybe people disagree and that's fine. Not everyone has to agree with the way that I view some of this stuff when it comes to the story, but I thought that that was really compelling. And that's actually what sort of, brought me back from being kind of like, well, like, when is he going to beat Kento? So that helped me. So that's just something I wanted to share.
0: Thank you for sharing that. So before we get to the injury, I do want to note, because I'm, I'm keeping an eye on everyone else in this unit, <laughs> that um, Kodama and Omori do win the 2021 Junior Tag Battle of Glory on December 26th, um, two days before Jake uh, breaks his left orb- orbital bone. Uh, courtesy of, of course, it was an accident, but we we kayfabe it into um, courtesy of Ryuki Honda, which is when Honda becomes a big player in the storyline, in Total Eclipse, and uh in aljaban in general. So um, yeah, to sort of I guess bring it back to um Kodama and Omori, we do have Omori sort of becoming more and more prevalent, more successful though, would you say it was inevitable or would you say it was attached to Total Eclipse at all? I think I know your answers here, but I I would be curious to hear them.
2: Okay, good question. I think it was a bit of both. We haven't mentioned him so far, but I think Kodama was one of the members of Total Eclipse who fit in with sort of the Jake uh, vision. He has a spooky vibe, he he fits with the got aesthetic. He was one of the members that made sense to me. So having him with Okuto, who has that sort of mentor-apprentice relationship with Jake, I thought it was a good pairing. They worked well together and their whole tag team reign for me really improved. It allowed Okuto to improve a lot. Uh, he worked on his in-ring. He worked on his um, personality, um, and he just became better through it all. Yeah, that's a that's my thoughts on the uh, reign.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I don't view their success as having as being related to Total Eclipse mm-hmm. at all. I, just because, to me, at that point, to me at that point, Total Eclipse feels like everyone's sort of doing their own thing, right? It feels like they were going to be successful as a group or as a team, rather, no matter what. It's just that they happen to be brought together because they're still under the banner of Total Eclipse. Kuma and, and Doi to that point too, they they always have their own thing going together because they're a unit and it, rather a team and they kind of just do their own thing together. And they're pretty consistent actually in their presentation of their characters because of that. So they're always going to be doing their, their own thing. It just so happens that their gear says Total Eclipse. Um, so to me, like that stuff has nothing to do with total eclipse and more to do with just like the way that these guys are going to make things work together you know either way i think that the this was a huge year for like that straight that that shot from them winning and going forward um between kodama and omori that was like a huge you know starting point for omori and like the rise that he's had in 2022 this was a big year for him yeah i think in that way it's it was successful and it was great
0: all right, and that uh, that's perfectly said, and brings us perfectly to our next, I guess, uh, beneficiary of Total Eclipse, and someone who had a huge year after this uh, rather unfortunate moment, and that would be Ryuki Honda. Um, so I'm I'm curious, sort of, let's talk a little bit about him and his role in Total Eclipse. Would you count him as a member? I think is my the big question that we all want to know is is Ryuki Honda a member of Total Eclipse? Please go ahead, take it away, Lou.
2: I mean, technically, he was. Um, he, I know. I remember he had a lot of uh, heat with Okutô and the other members of the group. But I mean, technically, he was a Total Eclipse member. And what I liked the most about is Total Eclipse Run is how it spawned that whole feud with Ashino. And the, the cool thing with me about that feud is that I felt like this was the kind of feud that Ashino was meant to have early on with guys like Doi, with the former Enfant Terrible guys. You would have these tag matches where you felt like they were gonna kill each other. And then I think the big blow off was at the, on the MT Arena Champion Carnival final card. There was that Ashino Doi singles match, which felt kind of like just any other match. As opposed to that, when that Honda Ashino feud started, you had these matches. They had these matches together where they were literally just trying to destroy each other, kill each other.
0: Literally.
2: I I, I loved it. I thought it was it was great. It's uh, as I mentioned, similar thing with uh, with Okuto. Uh, it really helped raise Honda's profile, and it uh, it gave us a bunch of cool matches. So, yeah, it was a positive for me.
1: Honda is so fascinating. I think it was, was it Stan Hansen who accidentally broke Bruno San Martino's neck, and that kind of was like a big moment for him? Yeah. That's the, kind of the moment that Honda had for breaking Jake Lee's orbital bone and causing the crisis around the Triple Crown at that time. What a nightmare that was but Honda's fascinating I think he was a member I mean he certainly had the trunks so I can't like you know take that away from him but Akato <laughs> Mori certainly had opinions about whether or not he was a member yeah, which was fascinating but um Honda like he like <sighs> there are a few people besides Jake who I think truly benefited from this I think there are probably three big people one of them was never a member but Honda's one of them that was a member and Honda is is also interesting because he's like I think is like a weird starting point for me of like some of the other inconsistencies of like the fallout of Total Eclipse and that he has that incredible feud like Lou saying with Ashino and you see all of that, but also Jake comes back from injury. They have that incredible standoff where like Honda says something like I'm gonna you know break your fucking face again, whatever. And then like Jake lays him out beautifully. It was a great moment they have a champion carnival match that to be honest, I can't really remember. I feel like that champion carnival was about 2000 years ago, but they, they have a match. And then I remember though, at the end, they just kind of like shake hands and it's like, why? But that's like, that's like one of many, like very confusing interactions that happened within that champion carnival. And then also after you have Jake and Tajiri have a singles match and then like Jake just looks like kind of weirdly emotional about it and then it's over and then Tajiri's out of Total Eclipse and he's back to just doing Tajiri things and like that's like you you see like some of these very odd things where it's like what kind of faction is Total Eclipse anymore that like we just let members walk in and out and we don't say anything about it we and like it's it's very odd and you have like that big gap of um to me like that story gap of like Jake starts going to hang out with Yuma again. And Hokuto Amori says nothing. <laughs> he has no opinions about this, but he had every opinion about Ryuki Honda trying to join Total Eclipse. And it's like, well, why? Like that stuff just seems Cause, like, cause those Jake are perhaps little things. he, yeah, Jake, I guess he can so. do no
0: wrong. Hokuto loves that man. Like, okay, yeah, Jake wants to do that. That's fine. But Honda, no, you, you raise a really good point there.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Like that's like, that's the kind of the, the weird sort of point at which I mark time of like that's where everything gets sort of even more undefined for me in total eclipse. You have all of these different interactions between people where it's like everyone just doing whatever they want to do. There's it's it, there's this total eclipse is just a backdrop. It's just gear, and everyone's just doing whatever they want to do.
2: Yeah, very well said. Um, and yeah, the. Actually, I don't have anything interesting to add to that. That's per- perfectly said.
0: <laughs> I was really hoping you get we get a hot take in there, but uh, I know, no, but I think I think you're right.
1: Covered it. Um,
0: yeah, let's. Um, I'm sort of going to seg over here. Let's talk about the third person who benefited from total eclipse. Um, Lou, do you have any guesses who that might be?
2: So you say it was a non-total eclipse.
0: Yeah.
1: Guy. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: we both know. Just um, Tell me.
1: So to me, the person that benefited from this that was never a part of Total Eclipse is Ashino.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: He was in a very weird spot when, you know, and granted, like, I would love to hear your opinion about this, Lou, genuinely, because... were very worried that he was going to get stuck in a in a position in all japan where he would never be able to rise to the main event he was never really going to hold any significant titles people i remember i always hear it in smiley's accent people were very worried he was going to become suama's bag boy that was all sort of swirling and what ends up happening and then like anfans got ripped from him and it was like well what the fuck is he going to do about his it's literally his faction what is he going to do about his faction that he brought over from w1 so but moving forward from that, he ends up in runaway suplex with Suwama. That is like pretty dramatically successful for them. They, they you know, they've on. I think they won a tag league. Did they not win a tag league? Or did they? I don't remember anymore.
2: they, yes, they won I think the tag so. league. and took
0: the belts from next
2: stream. As you know, in all Japan, for me, it's always been fascinating because especially on Twitter, people had some high expectations from him. <laughs> he, was, he was the Wrestle 1 uh, world champion. And the way they introduced him during COVID, you know, they made it seem like this guy, he was going to be a player right off the bat. Like He had a triple crown match with Suwama. Looked amazing. Uh, he felt like a main event guy right away. And then I guess they sort of they, they didn't, from that introduction, I guess people expected him to get the instant super push. And that's not what happened. The, he became sort of the high mid-card tag guy. Um, he, and for me, for, I, for me, it still worked. He had a really good run with Suwama. And now he's in a super cool place with the uh, Gnir of Anarchy. And um, it, it took a while to stabilize everything, but... We might still get a triple crown Ashino run. We don't know for sure, but for me, it's uh, it's put him in a good place right now.
1: No, I completely agree. Like we we don't know what they have in mind for Ashino moving forward. I think I still think that the moment this year when you know him and Honda won the titles, I still think that that was incredibly significant. And you know, certainly, I think a, you know a. Certainly the company thinking about, you know, how they want their main event to look. I think that there's, you know, there's a lot to be said about certain choices the company has made this year, good and bad. I think that they have done certain things that show you that they are thinking about some of the younger guys on their roster. It's not just, you know, you know, Suwama or, or people like him dominating things at the very top. There are um, some things that occurred this year that um, that are good things like Ashino and, and Honda grabbing mm-hmm. the belts. Honda, I think, is... Um, the youngest tag title holder, heavyweight tag title holder in the company's history. And then you have uh Yuma Ayagi as the youngest champion carnival winner in the company's history. Like you have these important things that are happening in this in this year. So yeah, Ashino is definitely a part of that. And, and like I said, I think that there's he is definitely someone that that I think benefited from this. Did did um did they have to pull on fronts from him? Could they have done this in a different way with Jake? And I, you know, I always think about where Jin was before Naya Nomura was injured and before COVID began, which is really what kind of seals that faction, unfortunately. Uh, could we have seen more from Jin? I think absolutely. But I think the theme of Sweeper and Jin for Jake that would have ended up hurting him is that those factions were sort of based around his relationships with other people, and they weren't about him necessarily. And I think especially with Jin, he would have always ended up competing with Naya. And so putting him on his own in Total Eclipse was going to benefit him no matter what. So I don't know, just a a lot of thoughts. There's a
0: point there in saying that Total Eclipse is focused on Jake's relationship with other people, but it's specifically on Kento and Suwama rather than people in the unit. Would you think that's fair to say?
2: Yes, that is very fair to say.
1: Absolutely. Mm
0: All right, so I think we've uh, summed up sort of the fall of total eclipse there, um, more or less with uh, May of 2022. We have Tajiri and I suppose also Honda uh, leaving the unit. Um, Honda went off to uh, hang out with Ashino and Tachibana, which would later become uh, Gunier of Anarchy, best unit probably in the world, but um, (laughs) quite possibly in the entirety of wrestling. But uh, yeah, then you have um, June 20th, Jake does defeat Kento Miyahara to win the Triple Crown Championship for a second time. So we do have that right on the tail end of um, Total Eclipse. Could you sort of refresh my memory? Was um, Jake teaming with Yuma at this time or was this right before that?
1: I would say they were.
0: I think so too. So there's there's an argument there to be said as whether Total Eclipse was still was <laughs> did he really win this as a member of Total Eclipse or not like I guess there there's a debate there
1: I I kind of remember my thoughts around this maybe I think I, I thought I don't remember what pants he was wearing during this but I think <laughs> I think when he went to fight Kendo, I don't think anyone was there with him and I was trying to figure it because like, it's really like, it's weird that Omori, I don't remember what Omori was doing on that card, but I kept thinking that like, what's really striking that no one from Total Eclipse is here with him. Like, like Hokuto Omori is not here with him essentially. And I was like, I wonder if that'll mean something because he's been working with Yuma. So it ended up meaning nothing. So don't worry about that. But um, <laughs> he, I'm just saying that to establish that he had already been working with Yuma for at least a little bit of time before that match.
2: I think the fact that we were unsure of the status of total eclipse during that big uh, Jake Lee win kind of sums up the whole problem with these last few months and the demise of total eclipse. It felt very unclear, very confusing, and sort of very drawn out. I think ultimately the the story of Jake Lee turning back to babyface and teaming with the Aoyagi's, that's, that's a great story, but they're really taking their time with it. It's really stretched out. Uh, Jake, he's still in the total eclipse gear for some reason. There's there's the, the real tag league happening very soon. That would be a cool time maybe to switch up the gear, to cement him as his new babyface era, Jake, I guess. But um, yeah, a lot of... Uh, uncertainty and confusion in the these last few months of uh, total eclipse.
1: And I think it was um we touched on it a little bit but it it wasn't even really just them in the end because you have Honda spinning off into working with Ashino and they didn't give a lot of great explanation as to why that would happen after they tried to stab each other, right? Like yeah. no clarity around why that would be a thing and yeah, it, there's just, it was a very weird, a very odd period, and you have no explanation as to why we saw Ashino really being embraced by Sato and Dan Tamara. but then nothing comes of that either, even though that was really a moment for, like, Ashino to, um, he didn't necessarily have to join Evolution, but, like, really to sort of, like, stand with them against Suwama yeah. in the aftermath of, like, the fall of Runaway Suplex and Suwama leaving Evolution to join, voodoo murders again but like no real explanations you know as to like why all of this was suddenly happening especially with ashino just suddenly going from literally one week to the next not affiliated anymore with with dan and um sato and there's still a lot of tension there but again no context given so that it was a very weird period for a lot of those storylines but also not terribly inconsistent with how all japan can just be sometimes (laughs) sometimes things just are what they are and you've got to roll with it (laughs) and that's just how this promotion is and you got to put up with it I'm not saying I agree with it but that just is what it is so yeah I, I, I agree with Lou I think that like us being like well like was total like where were we where were we at with total eclipse when Jake was going into an incredibly important match in July the fact that we have no idea really speaks to exactly like you know where that that faction was they were they were kind of a mess it had really been I think dead at that point for a few weeks because it, it's at one point he had said to like I'm not going to partner like I'll you I owe you one is what he said to Yuma I yeah. owe you one but I'm not going to actually like be in like a partnership with you and then that also changed with very little explanation <laughs> so that's just like what was happening in this run-up to this incredibly important match with Kento but it also doesn't matter because that stuff never mattered in Total Eclipse. (laughs) It's always about Jake and Kento and is Jake going to finally be able to stand across from Kento in a ring and feel like an equal and um, win the triple crown from him? And then he fucking did. So (laughs) that (laughs) That that was that. Yeah.
0: I want to drop some hot date facts on you um, real quick, just to sort of um, illustrate the point you're saying. So on July 18th, um, was when Kodama officially left Total Eclipse uh, to align with what would become Gugner of Anarchy very, very shortly after. And then on September 19th, September 19th, Jake Lee announces that Total Eclipse disbanded and it's over. So we were hanging out for what, nearly two months with Jake Lee as pretty much the only member Because uh, Kumadoi were MIA and um, everyone else had left to go do other things. So that is uh, just really speaks to what you guys are saying and what you're what you were talking about. And um, Total Eclipse had been dead before that. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that's that's a really um, startling kind of kind of way for a unit that began like that to to go.
1: It's funny because we got the whole like show of Jake, like not wanting to put the main unit shirt on, the blue (laughs) shirt that they wear now. And like Omori's Omori being who he is, he's a pain in the ass. And he was putting the shirt on before Jake. Yuma's been in the shirt. Atsuki's been in the shirt. I can't remember if Shuji put the shirt on before Jake or not. I think he might've, not very long before Jake. But then like they make this whole show of like disrobing Jake. And which is really odd, but like they make this whole show of disrobing Jake and then like Yuma's literally standing there holding the shirt to give to Jake to put on <laughs> because of this whole like Hantai like resurgence around um and it's Jake's unit, it's Jake's Hantai because they walk out to his theme and they all do the D4C with him. And it's all again, it's all revolving around Jake, even though this is a Hantai main unit.
0: Remember on those sticker sheets that they handed out before the Budokan is that they had different Tai units, like they were written in different colors. And Jake's Hontai was a different color than what we would consider the rest of the main unit like uh, Black Mensure and Izanagi and all, all of the, the mid card crew where this sort of top card main unit is a unit. it's It's very weird, it is a unit. <laughs>
1: I think my theory, I have an emerging theory on like what Ooh. is going to wind up happening with him. I i could be very wrong. And I'm also very okay with being wrong because I'm not a backstage insider and I'm very fine with being, not being a backstage insider, but, um, <laughs> I, with him and because of things like that sticker sheet and like, just like with the way that I think he is going to have to get new gear, obviously that we can't be wearing totally clipped stuff in the ring anymore. And I really do think like, he's been like, he went through, incredible shit with like what happened with Royal Road what happened with Nomura um what happened with Joe and then just the stuff with the Budokan with that match everyone has a lot of different opinions about Nomura and Jake from from the Budokan I think that was I think that match was intentional I just think that we saw it at a different point I think that was supposed to happen in the semi-finals of Royal Road we just got it at the Budokan but yeah irregardless I think that like we are seeing like the deconstruction of Jake Lee but what are we going to see now moving forward? How much is going to change? I can see them. I can see them making him part of this like this main unit because I still think that they're going to put him on a path to get him back in front of Suwama because that's going to be completely unresolved now because of Suwama taking his belt from him and that very illegitimate win. But I don't know how much of like Jake Lee's temperament is going to change. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that he is still going to be looked at as a very solitary figure. This like sort of dark knight, as Lou has called him. Like, I think that that is still going to be very much his persona, which is why I don't necessarily see that much of his gear really changing. I still think that's what he's going to look like the only thing I have questions around is like the color, like, you know, he's, he wears a lot of black, but like, is that going to look weird when he, when he's, you know, being played off of, um, VDM who are all in black and red. Right. Like, I don't know if that necessarily matters to them so much, but I think that even within Han Tai, he is still going to kind of look and sort of be the same in, in temperament because, um, that's the part I think that they're going to keep from Total Eclipse with him. If that makes sense. I don't see that much changing I don't see him reverting back to how he was in Jin or in other phases of his career in all Japan I think that we're going to keep that from him um it'll just be a matter of you know how how different or really you know how much the same they keep his gear
2: that makes sense and to me the the Total Eclipse aesthetic with Jake was always one of the best things about uh, the whole storyline. I thought the aesthetic was really cool. He looked like a star. Uh, he looked like a triple crown champion. If he's able to keep the best parts of his Total Eclipse persona and aesthetic and sort of transition it into, uh, I don't know, a more toned down uh, baby face or tweener kind of thing. anti-hero anti-hero sort of thing. I think we might get the best version of Jake Lee and he he'll reach even bigger heights and become a bigger star. Hopefully that's the direction we're going in. I hope he gets he gets a lot of he gets to explore that story in the tag league with Yuma. But yeah, I think there's positive things on the horizon for Jake. Um, it's just a matter of getting there because as I mentioned, this is starting to feel maybe a bit weird because of how drawn out it is. He's having these moments in six-man tags with the the rest of the Hontai 2.0 guys doing his taunts and his moves while he's still wearing the Total Eclipse gear. And it's it, for me, it would be time to pull the trigger on the, the next phase.
0: Yeah, I think you guys said it beautifully. And uh, yeah, I, I don't really have uh, much more for you guys. I'm very happy to hear your thoughts. And uh, yeah, what what is your final um, conclusion on total eclipse? Would you say it was a successful experiment to sort of get Jake to the top? Or um, would you say that it just kind of fell flat for you? What are What are your total opinions on total eclipse
2: so as we discussed i think in terms of overall tone and cohesion it it wasn't the best uh in terms of getting jake to a new level i think it worked and in terms of getting honda and omori to new levels i think it worked it we got a lot of good wrestling out of it to, to me, I, I'm a wrestling match kind of guy. So if I get good wrestling matches, ultimately I, I'm happy. Uh, and there, <laughs> there were a lot of good wrestling matches that came out of this. The as we mentioned, the the two the uh, champion carnival finals and the 60 minute match with Kento. Uh, those for me were some of the best J.C. matches in recent years. And this all happened in the Total Eclipse era. So even though it didn't always make sense, and maybe the lineup wasn't as cohesive as we would have liked. I think there was more good than bad in the total eclipse era.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with a lot of that. I think that as a vehicle for Jake, this was critical. This needed to happen, especially when it did for Amori, for Honda, and also for Ashino. I feel like this was, you know, a critical period, and it and it largely, it largely worked. So in that way, I don't think it was a failed experiment. I agree with Lou that you know, in watching a lot of this back too, there was stuff that I liked more this week than I did when I watched it originally. Taking that and and kind of contextualizing it against some of the the biggest complaints that I hear about Jake or about Total Eclipse or about you know whatever. Um, It's just very interesting because it sometimes makes me feel like I'm watching completely different matches than other people, but I think there's so much to actually really enjoy about this era, at least for me, and then totally clips in this era of, of the faction, you know, it got us to the very important conclusion for now of Kento and Jake which is an mm-hmm. extremely important story in modern All Japan. The ending was satisfying. Was it satisfying to watch Suwama take the belt from him in the defense immediately after? No. <laughs> but was it incredible to watch him finally have that moment and to like watch him experience that extremely palpable joy in a way that he did not experience when he won the first time in One Champion Carnival? Yeah. So for, for that, it's like you you can't regret it or want to take it back because it led to these incredibly important moments for Jake and for me too I think that this is just like it's such a weird faction it's a weird period but it's a very nostalgic thing for me that now that they're kind of gone it's like well this is kind of sad and sort of weird even though nothing ever made sense because of the way that it started and it represents like this very like weird period of of my life of like just being home all the time because of the pandemic and like it's so tied into that for me where I can just like remember like waiting for these shows and being so excited to see like what was going to happen next and you know that's um that's really cool and wrestling makes you feel that excited and like for all japan to have achieved that during a global pandemic in a really weird period in people's lives i think that that works
0: do you have any uh memories lou of uh watching total eclipse
2: as Alicia mentioned, especially the early stages, it, it really felt exciting. It was, it was as we discussed, probably the most exciting angle they had done in a long, long time. And yeah, watching it unfold from show to show, it felt like uh, like you were watching. It was like the Attitude Era, All Japan. <laughs> uh, something crazy happening every week. Uh, it also brought up just... Really entertaining levels of hatred. You had like Ashino you know, really pissed off at his former teammates. You had Iwamoto uh, pissed off at Jake. And I guess it, just, it was just fun to watch unfold. Even if it, wasn't, it didn't always make perfect sense, but it kept you hooked from show to show and it brought a lot of cool moments.
0: And that's one last thing I sort of wanted to get at and uh, leave you with was when Alicia mentioned that um, watching it back was more enjoyable than sort of in some ways than watching it happen and that um, I remember, as we we're sort of getting towards the end of total eclipse, we were reading a lot into like, oh well, you know, maybe Honda and Amori are going to implode, or you know, when Jake gets back, such and such is going to happen, or Amori is going to take uh, umbrage with him teaming with Yuma and things like that. More sort of. Um, I guess, waiting for the shoe to drop in some ways, shapes and forms. And um, when that doesn't happen, it sort of gets confusing and gets weird. But as we're looking back on it, it's more enjoyable than what we remember. And basically what I'm saying is, is sometimes you just got to let it play out. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think I think that really speaks towards uh, where we're at with Total Eclipse.
2: Agreed. 100%.
0: All right. So uh, let's let's just sort of wrap things up here. And uh, Lou, if you could just plug yourself one more time. We want everybody to uh, know you, follow you, read your excellent reviews. They're super funny, super charming. Um, Alicia has said multiple times that they make uh, her feel good to be an All Japan fan. And I do feel the same way. So we we had to gas you up a little bit there. But uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, plug yourself and, and share the love, share the joy of your writing.
2: Sure. Uh, Thanks. Thanks a lot for, by the way, plugging me so often on Talking Triple Crown. That's really appreciated. (laughs) Um, You can find me on Twitter at Japan. The website is HappyWrestlingLand.com. That's where you can find my All Japan reviews. Thanks again for inviting me. It was a really cool conversation. Always happy to talk All Japan or Japanese wrestling in general.
0: Thank you for joining us. And thank you guys, our listeners, for listening to Kick Out. Again, I am Rachel at Milky Star. That's M-I-I-K-Y star. And I am here with Alicia at Shiranui Kai with two eyes.
1: If you could um, please follow us, subscribe to us, um, and leave us a five-star review, that would be really great. We're trying to grow Kick Out and Talking Triple Crown. So all of that really helps us. And thank you guys so much.